everyone. Welcome back or welcome to an all new episode of the 20% podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you can implement in your current job today. I'm your host, Tyler Meckis. It is so hard to believe that it's episode 104, which marks the two year anniversary of starting the show. I started this show as just an idea, and I really had no idea what was going to be happening two years later. I have shown up for 104 straight weeks learning in public as I share the conversations I've had with world-class professionals across all industries. From TEDx speakers to ex-Navy SEALs to the world's best sales leaders and practitioners, this journey has been something that I could have never expected, and we're just getting started. This week's guest is the first repeat guest on the show, John Barrows. John is the founder and CEO of JB Sales, which he founded in response to the incredibly limited amount of formal academic sales training. I first met John while interviewing at JB Sales two years ago, and he was actually a guest on episode 34, where I introduced the sales series of the 20% podcast. In this week's episode, we discussed John's first time selling, which was pumpkins, how you have to earn everything in life, is sales more art or science, the need for process, design thinking, energy management, and so much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with my friend, John Barrows. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Tyler, what's going on? Good seeing you again, man. Oh, man, it's so fun. And just so you know, I, I think I told you this as well. You're you're the first guest that I'm having as a, a round two here. Yeah, uh, I'm honored. Finally, we're so, uh, and I, I couldn't have picked a better person, obviously. It's really interesting. From the first time that we had our conversation, I think you were episode 34, and yeah. we're at 105 now or something crazy. Nice. Um, the first time that we talked, we didn't really get a chance to do the whole experience of, of how I like to run these podcasts of running into the background and then bringing it up to where we are modern day. Um, sure. Because you were also one of the first people that I talked to around um, when I first started my book journey, which I'm still working on here too. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. let's, let's just take a big step back, John, as I do with every single guest. Um, let's learn a little bit more about John Barrows as a kid. And some of the, the really interesting things too, that you taught me, and I talk about this stuff all the time, is that the things that we learn early on in our career and our life before we even really knew it yeah. lay a foundation to the success that we're going to have later on. And that's the real thing of what we started with this book journey. And I say we, because you are the first person here, John, yeah. it's amazing. The conversations and the journey that it set off from there. Let's hear who John was as a kid. Were you always yeah. this outgoing person? And I, and tell us a little bit more. I know that you, there were some stories about um, you throwing chili on somebody at friendlies. Um, <laughs> that I want to make sure Shit, that, yeah. that, that's a great story. Who, tell, tell everybody is John as a kid and, and what you were like, and maybe some of those early lessons, even before, before college. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I was a slightly above average kid at, at a lot of things, but never great at anything. I wasn't super driven of like, Oh, you know, like immediately locked into stuff. Um, my mom says I was always money motivated. Um, but I don't think it was, it was more, I wanted to earn money to be able to afford things motivated. And so early on, I, you know, sales was, even though I didn't really know what it was, you know, for instance, the first thing I ever sold was pumpkins, right? I, you know, those tiny little pumpkins that right. you find at grocery stores. Well, I was an artist, you know, my first major in college was art. And so my, and my mom wasn't uh, taught art and everything else. So I, I was decent as a kid. So I would grab these little pumpkins and I would paint those little faces on them. And I, so I'd buy them for a dollar at the grocery store and then I'd bring them to school and I'd sell them for $5 and I would make enough money. And that's how I got my first uh, video game system. And this is where I'm dating myself without question, because it was the Atari. Uh, what is that know. thing, John? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know yeah. what an Atari is. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but that was, that was kind of my first entree into it. And then I just, you know, I, I was one of those kids that, that got along with everybody 
but um you know i was i was part of the cool you know i was an athlete so i was part of the cool quote unquote cool kids but i also liked hanging out with the quote unquote nerds you know that type of thing um i didn't like the extremes on any ends you know so like there was some kids in my high school that were like the extreme jackass cool kids like i never really liked them so i was always pretty middle of the road um growing up my parents i, I was really fortunate i had two parents that you know stayed together for 55 years um, sister who was nine years older than me. We, we grew up in kind of a, you know, middle-class town, um, had a chip on my shoulder. We, we, uh, we, Bedford, Massachusetts is where I grew up. And we, the two towns next to us, we were kind of the commute between those two towns was Lexington and Concord. This is where like Paul Revere and all that stuff ran through. And those two towns were like super rich towns. And we were the smallest town in our entire district. So sports wise, we always got our asses handed to us and those kids were always the rich kids. So I think there was always a little bit of the chip on my shoulder on that. Um, and my dad had a chip on his shoulder too. Like he was always trying to, you know, fight everybody in the world. Right. He, Cause he was, he was really, he was quite frankly, one of the smartest people I've ever known in my life. Um, PhD engineer, um, you know, the AWACS, you know, that big plane that has that big donut on top that spies down on people. He was part of the team that built that. No way. And my mom, so he's, he's kind of the science side of me and my mom was an artist. So she, uh, she was an artist. She, she taught art, art therapy. She got two master's degrees. And so I kind of had both of those sides in me and I didn't realize this, but I had the entrepreneurial gene, even though I didn't know it because, um, my dad, he consulted for the FAA. So he was, he worked out of the house and my mom, because I was nine years younger than my sister, my mom was a stay at home mom with my sister. And then she worked at Wang Laboratories, which back then was like Salesforce is today. It's like, if you worked at Wang, it was like, holy shit, right? And she, but she, when she had me, she wanted me to have the same experience as my sister. So she literally quit a job at the peak of her career, quit her job to stay at home with me, but she didn't quit her job just yet, just to stay at home with me. She actually started her own consulting practice doing, uh, helping people with their resumes and find jobs. So if you walked into my house, we had a split level house, our, our living room, half the living room was the TV and half the living room was her office. And so growing up, my mom's office was downstairs in our living room. My dad's office was in our house. So I had that, that entrepreneurial gene, even though that's not what they called it back then. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And that really kind of set the stage for me. And I mean, they supported me. I went through college. Um, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. So I, I went to Mar University of Maryland because they didn't force me to define uh, to my uh, degree until my junior year. Uh, I tried every major you could possibly get. You know, I went from art to engineering to science to, you know, you name it and failed miserably at all of them and then landed on business and marketing because I felt like it was a really good mix of all the things that I like to do, like artistically and all that and, you know, money and all that other stuff. And yeah, and that's kind of where, where it all started from, man. Oh, man, John, there's so many different spots that I want to jump into there. Number yeah. one, I also come from a very small middle class town. I graduated mm. with 120 kids. So 125 in our class. Yeah. Wow. So, so the similarities there, right? Um, it's really crazy because I have that same chip and that motivation and, and my parents also gave me an incredible life, but you just yeah. want more and you just want better. Like what did that living between those two towns and, and some of that chip on your shoulder, how did that help you? That experience early on help you in your business life later on as well with having, being hungry and giving that motivation. Cause I, I can't help but think that that wouldn't have helped you being a sales professional. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, look, 
chip on your shoulder is a good thing. I mean, I, I you know, and people probably hate this, but you know, Tom Brady, right? Like one night, he still wears the t-shirt under his uniform of 199. Like that's what he, so even though he's the greatest quarterback in the world, he still has a t-shirt that says he was, you know, 199th in the draft. Michael Jordan, I don't know if you remember, but when he stood up to give his acceptance speech at the, um, when he got in, inducted into the hall of fame, he still shit on his high school coach that didn't put him on the varsity team. I'm like, Jordan, you're Michael Jordan. You're being right. inducted to the Hall of fucking Fame here, and you're still shitting on the coach that didn't give you. So I think there is something about like just whether it's a, a perceived thing or a real thing that you need something to motivate you that's outside of the typical things, and and we all search for it in different ways. I think for me, it wasn't really a conscious thing. It was just I I always I always wanted to to get to that next level i always wanted to prove somebody wrong i always wanted to beat the bigger guy um and i also i think you know i i also from what i remember i hated bullies too and i and and thankfully for me i was actually a big kid so i i, I hit my growth spurt pretty soon pretty early so i was taller than most other kids um and so when other kids were bullying other kids i would stand up to those bullies not because I wanted to get in a fight is because I wanted. So I think there's just something about bullies that, that drives me. And when I, and when, and I'm going to macro out bullies in the sense that um, like bad managers, bad leadership, uh, companies who are doing things the wrong way, individuals who are pushing their weight around because they think they're better than somebody else. Like that just bothers me to the core. And I will fight for that any day, all day. And, you know, I, I don't really know. I mean, I think it probably mostly comes from my dad. My dad was like, he was like five, eight, like buck 30, you know, nothing. But man, that he didn't back down to anybody when it came to like, when it came to work, like he would literally tell everybody to F off at, at work because he was that smart, that much smarter than everybody else. And he was trying to prove them wrong. And I, and I remember my mom telling me the story of when I was just born, it was, I was probably like a year old in my mom's arms and it was snowing in Boston and tons of snow. My dad was out there shoveling, right? And I guess a plow came by and just absolutely covered him with shit. And he took his shovel and he hucked it at the uh, at the dump truck that it hit him. And it and it cleaned. The guy slams on his brakes and comes back and comes out. My mom honestly thought my dad was going to die because the guy was way bigger than him. And they're, they're out there just yelling at each other. And he didn't back down. And I think there's part of that in me that um, I don't look for fights. But I just like I tell my daughter all the time, no, don't ever start a fight but finish it um and that's kind of what my mentality has always been no i love that man it, it's i think it's what it comes down to to me is it's just standing up and, and doing the right thing and i think that yeah. and you taught me this too and like you know you're you've always been somebody that um obviously i look up to it um as a friend and mentor but um like you taught me even like for your customers right like yeah. don't if they if they don't align and i want to talk about your core values too because yep if they don't align with the core values or you don't believe what they're doing, there's no amount of money that's worth nope. that. Where And it sounds like some of this, the early of this rumbling on, and, and maybe I draw lines too much to, to the past, mm -hmm. but I think that there's something there too. Did you learn the core values that you have? And John has them on, on his website. You could go check that out. I'll, I'll link that into the show notes too. But where did you start learning the core values? Was that about some of this time in childhood as well? I don't know. I think it was instilled in me. My parents never had the direct conversation with me about core values or anything like that. I really wasn't introduced to those until in my career, right? Until I was- And, uh, and that's just the more formalized words. Exactly. I'm just saying more of like the, the learnings and the lessons and the, the life 
fundamentals, I guess, right? Yeah, and I mean, I think we get all that from our parents in, in so many ways, right? You, like you, you mirror what your parents do. And, I, and my parents always treated people fairly. They always were, you know, empathetic to um, people that didn't have, weren't as fortunate as we were. Um, they always, seemed, to me, seemed to stand up for what was right. And so, you know, I think there's there's a lot in that of of just absorbing it through osmosis almost based on how they act. And that's why I think as a parent, it's so important. You know, it's not do what I say. It's look what I do. You know what I mean? Like if you want your kid to work hard, well, then they have to see you working hard. You can't just tell them to work hard. And so I think, um, yeah, they was, those were all instilled in me. And then I think they solidified a little bit when I started really knowing about core values and what they meant. And I think an easy way to look at values is instead of trying to define what your values are, you can, because that's sometimes hard to really kind of think through it unless you have some guidance and a coach and maybe some, you know, templates that you can use, <clears throat> but you know what you don't like, you know what I mean? You don't, you know, what doesn't sit right with you. And for me, cheating never sat right with me, you know, to, um, you know, getting something I didn't deserve never sat right. You're not I, a fan of participation I, trophies, John? God, no. And, and so I, and I think that's, that's probably the one that really was instilled in me was I had to earn everything. So my parents didn't give me much, right? I mean, they gave me a very good lifestyle, you know, a very good life and, and supported me at, at every level. But if I wanted something, I had to go earn it like my Atari, you know what I mean? Like I wanted my video game system. And I'm like, okay, well then earn enough money to go get your video game system. Okay. Well, I guess I got to do that. Right. So, so I think the earn it mentality was instilled in me from a very young age. And I just kept kind of leaning in on that. And, and I still believe in that to this day, you know, if I, if I don't earn something, I don't feel comfortable getting it. I don't care. You know, that's why I, <laughs> I play every, every um, month, my daughter and I, we go to the Seven Eleven, and that's around a corner from us. And we buy one of the most expensive scratch off tickets you can possibly buy. So whether it's 30 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever it is, whatever the most expensive one is. And I let her scratch them. And, you know, usually on those big ones, like usually win something, right? 10 bucks, 20 bucks, something like that. Not us. <laughs> like we do, like the, like when people say lucky, I, I consider myself fortunate. But if you, but if you're thinking luck, like pure unadulterated luck, like I am not, I do not have pure luck, and I can prove it every time I go gamble. I can prove it every time I do any of that, that stuff. And so we scratch, and I let her scratch off the ticket, and we lose every time. And every time I say, what does that mean? And she goes, we have to earn it, daddy. And I'm like, exactly, right? And so it's a learning lesson every month where I remind her that we have to earn every fucking thing that we have. Oh my God, John, that is unbelievable. I'm going to start doing that. And, and this is, you know, I ask every guest uh, on the show for parenting advice. I know that this is, this is without saying one of the awesome ones. I want to tell a very quick story about a guest I had on a couple of weeks ago. Do you know Kellen Casebeer or ever heard of him before? I don't think so amazing guy you'll have to I'll, I'll have to connect you yeah guys. i'll take a look i, I probably um, do it's just my memory of names so. yeah no no worries <laughs> what happened with him early on his parents taught him when he's five years old they said you do your chores and you get five dollars yep. but for every dollar that you would put into savings we will double that for you nice and then six years old and seven years old he'd keep getting that extra money and then they would give more money for him giving back so yep. it took him a whole year to get his playstation but what did that teach him, John, when he reflects back into real life where we are today? Yep. Man, you cannot help but think that that did not have a fundamental no way question. that that is helping him in his life. And he's crushing it right now, John. Yep. Like it's I think the major lesson there is that like whether you're a parent or not, just just making sure that you're 
trying to stay, just doing, the, I think it just comes back to doing the right thing. What do you think, John? It does, it, you know, and the right thing is relative, obviously. I think that's where I got in a little bit of trouble. You know, my one of the things I remember, I, you know, somebody asked me, John, you know, what do you do? Like I met this person randomly and I was like, oh, you know, I, I train sales reps how to sell and I try to help them sell the right way. And they challenged me on that. And they're like, what do you mean the right way? What What's the right way of selling? And I was like, well, I mean, with morals and ethics and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, well, that's your right way. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way. Like that that's a relative term. And it, and it struck me and I was like, oh, come on. Like, you can't tell me that like, okay, there's a douchebag sales guy out there that's cramming shit down people's throat and just getting commission and doesn't give a shit versus some with morals and ethics and that type of thing. Like to me, that's tell me the other way is potentially the right way. Stop it. And you know what? Look, to some of these people, it is the right way, you know, because of the mindset that they've been given. You know what I mean? And I mean, we've talked about this. Like if you get, if you get into sales and, and you get on the quote unquote wrong track, but it gives you those endorphin rushes, like, and I'm going to say it, Grant Cardone or Wolf of Wall Street type of stuff. If you get that hook and then you get indoctrinated into that world, your opinion of how you're selling is the right way. Right. Right. So I think it comes down to core values. And that's why alignment, which you asked earlier about the alignment of core values is so important to me because my core values are going to be different than a lot of other people's. But I, I genuinely believe when you, when your alignment is there, when your core values are aligned, you can do some really special things, whether that's employees, customers, you know, you name it, right. You can do some really cool things because Tyler, you and I, we could argue all day long. Okay. But if our core values are the same, then we're going to come to a place of agreement and, and we're going to respect each other. But if our core values are off, we're just going to yell at each other and then we're, we're not going to go anywhere. And so look, my core values are a certain set. There are certain other people that have different set of core values and that's fine for them. They can find other people that match those core values. So I don't want to judge them that their values aren't the same as mine. I just, they're different than mine. And, right. and these are the ones I believe in. I look for people that mirror those values because those yeah, are the people I, I like being around. Right. And I think that that's a really important distinction there as well. And, and like, obviously that person didn't know the credibility that you have and everything that has happened over time. So I know that talking of that, taking that context out of it, I completely agree with him. Nice. Obviously you've worked so hard to build up your, to the, you know, the, the 400,000 followers and all of this stuff, like which met, metrics, like I, I don't, I don't love metrics or all of that. I think it, mm -hmm. it just it is a testament to showing that you're doing the right things or, or what is perceived to be the right things by a lot of other people. Right. And I think that, um, that it, I think that that was an, a distinction that I wanted to make there too. Um, well and I appreciate it, but, but think about it, right? Like I, I went off on my own, I don't know, shit, 10 years ago, over 10 years ago at this point. And, and I remember like, I had people reaching out, oh, John, you know, give us your Twitter handle. We'll get you 10,000 followers and, you know, next month. And I'm like, well, why do I want 10,000 random ass people follow me on Twitter? Right? right. So I took a very methodical approach. I said, if I'm going to build my brand, if I'm going to do this thing before it was really a thing, I'm going to do it my way. Right. And so it was a very slow, steady growth plan. So 400,000 followers. Yeah. Well, guess what? I was at the right place at the right time. When, when LinkedIn first came out, I was like one of the first 10,000, I think I was 10,132 um, because I didn't even know what it was, but then I, I nurtured it and I grew it. Right. Whereas other people, and, and I'll bring him up again, like Grant Cardone, he's literally 10 X me. Like he's probably a hundred X me as far as followers and influence and all that other stuff. So, you know, who's right, who's wrong. I don't know. Um, I've always wondered, you know, do you have to sell your soul to, to reach the ultimate pinnacle of quote unquote perceived success? 
Right. So if, I mean, you think of all the douchebags, right? Like <laughs> as much as I, as much as I love Steve jobs, he was a raging asshole. You know what I mean? Like Elon Musk, like that guy's, you know, weird in a lot of ways, but I've heard working for him is a nightmare, you know, Steve, like all these people. And so ah, do you have to be that much of an asshole? Do you have to sell your soul to reach? Right. And there's so many examples of people that did, but then there's obviously people that don't seemingly sell their souls, like the Richard Branson's of the world, the, the Mark Benioff's of the world, those pipe, you know, those people that really seem to genuinely care and genuinely try to do the right things. Did they screw some people along the way? Probably, but right. you know, on the whole, and this is how I kind of look at, at, you know, at the ends, right. When it's all said and done, you know, that stat in um, sports you hear plus minus, Mm -hmm. Like when you're on the field, are you a plus or minus basically? Right. right? I just want to be a plus. I just, at the end of the day, I just want to be a plus. I want to, I want to say that I added more than I took away from this game. And, and I think that that's gigantic. And, and too, because like, I think that's a great lesson of like, even if you look back on the scoreboard that you have right now and, and anybody in life, I'm just using you because we're yep. having a conversation. Like right now you could confidently say, I have a lot more of these pluses. But when you but when you have that same mentality, I think this is a big lesson for me too. Is that like it's okay to piss some people off along, yeah. and I don't want to say it's okay to, to piss, like you need to be comfortable and okay with that. Like I know somebody like I try I and I to this day have this flaw of myself. I try not to piss people off mm -hmm. as much as I can, but I know that that's at my own detriment sometimes as well. So I think that this is a big lesson to everybody. I hope is that well when you're going out, yeah, John. You, here's the way to look at it. And this is, I just had this conversation with my daughter just the other day, going back to core values. If you fundamentally think <clears throat> and know that you're coming from a good place, right? Where you're not trying to hurt anybody, you got core and you're trying, okay? You can accept when you piss somebody off because you didn't mean to necessarily. And guess what? You might've pissed them off because their values aren't the same as yours. You know what I mean? So then that there's nothing wrong with that. And so, but as long as I know that I'm not trying to screw somebody over, as long as I know I'm not trying to take advantage of somebody, I'm going to screw up. I'm going to say something dumb. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll, I'll do something off color, whatever it is. But as long as you learn from it and you know that you're coming from a good place, then I think you can easily sleep well at night. This is why I don't mind pissing people off because that's fine. I'm sorry if I pissed you off, but I wasn't coming from a position of trying to piss you off. You had positive intentions. Exactly. Right. And I think that that's a huge distinction as well. So I really appreciate you, you yeah. mentioning that. All right. Let's dive forward a little bit further into your career now. So you yeah. went, so you had, I guess, one more, one more college question before we jump into yeah. the Basho days and, and that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know you you mentioned that you had a number of different majors that you're trying to figure out. Do I want to yeah. do the art? Do I want to do the engineering? Yeah. The, and a couple of those that you mentioned are all skills that you leverage in, uh, I think that sales professionals could leverage in their day-to-day -day job as well. Sure. We don't need to get into the the science versus art versus science of sales. Yeah. I know that um, that's, a, I just had a conversation with Saad Khan about that the other day too, yeah. which was really interesting of, I think, I guess, shit, we're getting into it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, just really yeah. quick. I think that from, I think it's different from a, a uh, leader perspective and an individual contributor perspective. Mm. I think a leader needs to have more of a science, at least 51 to 49, so that we could develop that process. And when you have that process, then it's the art of being able to, to act on that process and be able to explain outward. But I think from an individual contributor perspective, like, yeah, it's important to be looking at your metrics and all of that stuff. But I think be, being able to be more artful in your delivery, I think is more important. You have any immediate feedback on that? 
Yeah, I actually think it's majority uh, majority science, regardless, um, because because it's structure, it's process, it's not necessarily the metrics. Like metrics are part of the science, but the the science is more of the process that you go through. Let's and I'll use another you know football analogy here. It's you know I'll go back to the Patriots. You know Bill Belichick's uh, whole philosophy is do your job, right? And there's a perfect example here of uh, Gray. So he was a running back, okay for the Patriots. And he, one game, he, it was a rookie running back. He came in and he scored four touchdowns and it was unbelievable, right? He was literally on the cover of sports illustrated and all this other stuff the next day. He then came 15 minutes late to practice and bet and Belichick benched him for the rest of the season. And he went and got blunt uh, from the Pittsburgh Steelers and blunt came in and guess what? The next game blunt had five touchdowns. And the point was hit the fucking hole. Like the structures there. Don't think it's special. Don't get too dynamic here here's go like the whole will be there just do your job run that route okay and so to me it's the same thing it's like the the sales reps that i see that are the most successful aren't the flash in the pants the super like awesome talking and being able to you know just be able to connect with anybody i think that's honestly like five percent of our population i do my uncle for instance he's my kind of sales idol this guy, he walks into a room. I don't care what he's selling. You're buying it from him because, and, and it's not in a sleazy way. It's just like you, you gravitate towards him. He knows the questions to ask. He knows exactly how to relate to people. It's, it's fascinating to watch, right? I'm not that guy. I got to work my ass off in sales. So, so the, the, the real sales, the, the most successful ones are who do the fundamentals and the basics consistently and consistently well. Right. I'll take the kid that hits their quota every single month, month over month, but just hits it versus the kid who's going to come in and blow it out of the water in one month and then lay a goose egg for two months in a row and not tell me why. Because those, by the way, those are the worst managers, too. Right. Like the worst that that's the problem in our in our space is the best sales reps get promoted to be managers. And usually the best sales reps are some type of artist, if you will, that just does what they do and they know how to do it. And now they're a manager being told, OK, teach everybody how to do what you do. And they, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know. And so that's why they deal chase. It's kind of like um, you ever done paint night, like date night, paint night. We have not. No. Okay. So paint night, my wife and I did, she's, she's a scientist, right? I'm more of the artist. Mm -hmm. um, she literally has a hard time drawing stick figures. Like no joke. We did paint night one and, and one time we, and I brought, brought her in, there was a Monet up there and she almost had a panic attack. She was like, uh, what, what? no, like, I'm not gonna like, th there's no way I could paint that. I'm like, just wait. Right. And, and what does the teacher do? Right. She sits down up on the, on, up on the stage with an easel and your easels in front of you. And you have five colors of paints and five different paintbrushes. And the, and the teacher says, okay, everybody pick up paintbrush number one, dip it in yellow and put a big yellow circle up in the top right corner. Okay. Uh, now pick up uh, paint, paint, brush number two and do a big blue swath around the bottom blah 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 and at the end everybody's shit kind of looks like a monet now are some looking better than others sure of course but they all kind of look pretty sim similar and so if you don't have a process if you don't have a structure to follow good luck man like because you better be a kick-ass artist but even think of the artists think of the artist picasso my favorite artist he would master every medium before he went to the next one, right? So he would do acrylics and he would do a, a whole period of acrylics and figure out and master acrylics. And then he would take that to whatever the next level was for him. So he would master the science of those art pieces to be able to create what he created. 
So I think it's mostly science, in my opinion. It should be mostly science, which demystifies it for the most of the population because most of the population thinks that sales is, oh, you just gotta, you just gotta gift or gab, you know, you just gotta be able to relate to people. And I wasn't born with that bullshit. You were all born with it. You sell yourself every day. You, you, you negotiate with your kids all day, every day. Oh, they're you, the best. Oh my God. They, he teaches that my kids right? have taught me so much about sales. It's unbelievable. Yep. So, I mean, you think it's to me, sales is yes, it's a profession, but it's also a mindset. It's a mindset. So, and I think, and I didn't mean to cut you off there. I'm so yep. sorry. But that was, that was an unbelievable explanation, John. And I really think that it, to me, that highlights number one, obviously the importance of process, mm-hmm. but two, having somebody who could help coach you and train you specifically to do that. I bet that same coach, obviously you could teach everybody with a process. It teaches you, everybody could have a a half decent thing, but what is that coach going to do when he walks over to John or walks over to his wife, he or she, they Mm -hmm. can make recommendations to be better and Mm -hmm. having that. So I think a process is good for the masses as well, Mm but also being able to have that coach, who could go in and, and oh, yeah. up on That's that. the individual components of it, right? But you have to have a common language across the board so you know what to coach on, right? So, you know, I used to have a team, you know, when my first startup and they, I would always tell them, look, I need you guys to be more strategic in your thinking. Like you're, you're, you're not being creative enough. And they would look at me like, John, what are you talking about? Creative and, and, and strategic thinking. Like, I don't, I don't know how to even be strategic with my thinking. And I'm like, let me demystify strategic thinking for you. All strategic thinking is, is creating a process. And by the way, I don't give a shit what the process is. I don't care how bad it is. Just have one. Then go find the weakest link in that process. Pull that piece down, come up with a couple of different options to address that piece strategically, whatever, tactically, and then plug it back into the process and see how the process runs. If the process runs better, find the next weakest link, find the next weakest link, right? That type of thing. That's all it is. It's about just breaking things down into a structure so that you can understand. So for instance, Tyler, across the board, this is the process I'm going to do for my team. But then I'm going to notice because of that process, if we let's talk prospecting, Tyler, you're really good at getting getting people on the phone, right? But for some reason, some, none of your demos are converting to proposals. So there's something going on in the demo phase for you. Whereas Sarah over here, she like she can't get through a gatekeeper to save her life. But when she gets a demo, almost all of them convert. So I need to work with Sarah on getting through gatekeepers. But you don't know that until you have a structure that you can apply to everybody to see where those gaps are. So you could see those outliers plus or minus wherever they are throughout that entire process, breaking it down from that whole entire, here's the sale, here's what we're happening. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, yeah, I mean, we can't, I think you've said this too, multiple times, we can't just coach to the averages because it's going to bring the top down. And that's, oh my goodness, that's amazing, John. All right, let's keep moving through here. So you obviously right after college, and I just want to briefly touch on this point. um, I love the fact that you, when you were at Black and Decker and you've said it number number of times, you wouldn't go to the super, you wouldn't go to the, the superintendent like everybody else was. You weren't right. going to that leader. You were going to um to the actual people who were going to use the product so that you could mm-hmm. get them to use that. I think that that's a fantastic lesson, no matter what, when you're when you're in sales or, or you're in training. I think that that like it's just being different too, you know? Well, I think it goes back to, you know, I, I, when I first started, um, you know, I think, I think I read think and grow rich at my first startup after Dwalt and, and, and Xerox. And I came up with 12 personal guidelines to success. And one of them was you can learn something from anybody, 
right? No matter what level they're at. And what I realized was when I was at Black & Decker, Black & Decker taught us the tools. Like we sat in workshops, we un, we took the tools apart. We saw the mechanics of them internally and all that other stuff. And our our gears were better than Makita's gears. And, you know, they weren't plastic, they were metal, blah, 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 right? But I was, you know, and I've used obviously tools in my life, but I didn't use tools. Like I never used like construction tools to really do something significant to, to support my life, right? So where when I would go on these construction sites, you know, most of the other sales reps would go right to the foreman. They'd go right to the, to, to try to sell to the top. And they'd be like, Hey, we've got these beautiful tools. And they would do that. Hey, well, our tools have these gears and they're, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this is why you should buy ours. And I remember being like, ah, Hey, uh, Joe over there sitting on his cooler, you know, taking a lunch break with a Makita drill. I'd walk over to him and be like, Hey, just out of curiosity, have you ever tried the DeWalt drill, you know, version of that? He'd be like, no, I'd be like, here, do me a favor. Um, I'm going to leave this with you. Could you just beat the shit out of this for the next week or so? I'm going to give it to you for free because we could. I'm going to give it to you for free. Could you just beat the shit out of this thing for like a week? And if it breaks, it breaks. I don't care. But would you mind if I came back a week later and just asked you what like the real, real differences were in this? And yeah, sure. No problem. So I'd give it to him. I'd come back a week later and I'd sit down and have lunch. I'd usually bring lunch and, you know, do him a little favor there. And they'd tell me everything. Oh, well, I like the grip here because it, you know, I got these blisters on this one. It's killing me. Or this one always seems to da 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 da. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Interesting. And then I would go to the foreman and I would say, Hey, you know, I've been talking to a lot of your team members here who are out there doing drywall and all this other stuff. And one of the big problems that they told me was, you know, they keep getting blisters because this drill is da da da, -da and would, and they keep breaking down after this many usage. And look, our DeWalt drill fixes that problem. This is why, would you be interested in picking some up? And it was almost like an automatic, well, yeah. You know, like it, it, you heard that from them. So that's like that, what, what everybody talks about today is design thinking and applying design thinking to sales, which is, you know, if you want to sell to Walmart, go to Walmart, walk the floors, go through the checkout, uh, sign up for their newsletter, return something and learn where the gaps are and then bring your story up to the executives with a perspective. And so I, I just, I don't know why I did that early days. I just, maybe because I saw the other sales reps kind of failing pretty hard at getting to the foreman. And I was like, that doesn't look like a great idea. They keep getting kicked out of their trailers and everything else. So uh, maybe I'm going to do this and hang out with these guys over here and figure that out. Right. And I think this, the the big silver lining before we jump into like just the, the, the changes over, over your lifespan here is like one of the, one of the biggest things there too, is like most sales reps will just go in and say this, our feature is better than them, or this is this. Nobody cares about what the gears are of what that is as much nope. as nobody cares what the clicks and dings are in your specific tool. Nope. What they care about is how does it affect my job and, and what the is outcome. the ultimate end? Yeah. What is yeah. the outcome? Yep. Is this drill, is this going to fall? If, this it, and if it so happens that those drills cause the the drill or the the, the gears cause that drill to break, then mm -hmm. that's 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 obviously a, a pain that you would find out by talking to those specific users. You don't have to just exactly. talk features specifically. Let's talk outcomes, test those outcomes, and then let come up with the, with their own hypotheses. And I, I think that that in itself, I think you talk about transferability of skills. You don't even know at that experience how crucial that was. But that is the essence of a good sales profession, in my opinion, right, John? I don't know what good is. Good, as yeah. we know, so good is subjective, yeah. right? But yeah. um, from, from the sales leaders that I've talked to from these conversations and what I know about the sales process, that is... And and I I mean it's it's unbelievable. I'm at, it's I kind also, of it's also treating people with, with respect too. It goes back to that, right? I mean, it's like gatekeepers, right? I, it drives me crazy. Reps who try to get through and trick gatekeepers. They're you know they're they're there for a reason. They got their job for a reason. Work with them. 
you can learn a lot from a gatekeeper. You know what I mean? As far so, so why not try to instead of avoid them and whatever and just get to the top? Look, you know, um, Dave Cancel said this to me on my podcast, and I believe this truly. And actually, Gong, this is Gong, this is one of their nexuses, which is it has literally nothing to do with what you sell. It doesn't matter what you sell, it has everything to do with how you sell. If you want to get in the feature function game, you're going to be on a spreadsheet and you're going to get beat up on discounts and good luck with that. There's no skill to that. There's yep. no skill to selling to features. Are you serious? Like put it on your fucking website and have people do the evaluation for, you know, put their numbers in themselves and say, look at our feature and da, 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 and here's what the price is going to look like. The skill is understanding what the outcome of the client is looking for and figuring out how you can most efficiently get that outcome for them, right? And, and who cares about the features? If the features help support that outcome, then great. Let's talk about those features. Right. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And oh, that, that is, that's unbelievable. It, there's, I can't wait to sit, sit down and talk and, and walk through these notes and see how I can try to implement it in my job. And I think everybody, I hope everybody is also taking notes too. Uh, whether you're driving, walking, whatever you're doing right now, you have to listen to this one again. Uh, all right, John. So, uh, you know, we talking about this, I know we're just a couple more minutes to wrap up here, but I think that I want to spend this next time. I think this is really important with, you know, obviously you're a couple years down the road further than me in our careers, but recently you had um, obviously the, the passing of your father, which again, sorry to, to really, you know, hear that, but what you, but what I think is really interesting is that you took that experience and you made yourself better in, in reflection and in, in really just trying to, to go and, and reinvent yourself, I guess. I don't, I don't know if that's a fair assessment or not, but you know, could you walk everybody through some of the major revelations or, or life lessons that you had through your father's passing? And then ultimately, I'd love to learn like at the different stages of your career. You know, I, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm younger in my career, mm-hmm. but I want to learn like, what some of the major lessons you have throughout the course of your career was that maybe in reflection you're noticing now? Yes. I mean, there's a lot, right. Um, uh, you know, talking about my dad, that what really threw me for a loop with him passing, well, wasn't him passing. Um, he shouldn't have, he got some weird disease that nobody could figure out, but he was 80. I think he was, shit, he was like 84 or something like that. So he, he lived a good life, you know, and we had a good relationship. So I don't have a ton of regrets, you know, was it, was it, did it suck? Absolutely. Um, but no, not too many regrets there. What really threw me for a loop was that I got ripped out of my business for about five months, five weeks. And, and when I plugged back in, the business was running without me. And this is something and, that you would have never done previously, right? This no, is unthinkable. No, because, because um, look, COVID was a blessing for me. Uh, it got me off of an airplane. I was 2 million miles in in less than 10 years. And, and, and I wasn't getting off an airplane anytime soon. I was a weekend dad. And so COVID hit. And there were some lessons of how we got through that that I'm, that I'm talking about in the keynote. And I'll reference here. But, you know, everything was great. And then my real inflection point came when he passed, because I remember vividly my mom saying, you got to come home. He's not doing well. I said, fuck it. And I called up. I, I told my team, I go cancel everything that I got. If the clients are pissed, give them their money back, whatever. Um, I'll, I'll see you when I see you. And look, when I started this company, I didn't start it because I wanted to build a company. I started this company because I didn't want a boss, period. Like, that's why I started this company. Cause I just always like one of my core values is freedom. Like I want the freedom to do what the fuck I want to do when I want to do it. Right. And, and having a boss, even a VC giving me money, which was why I've never taken VC funding. Cause I never wanted a boss. Now what happened was I put my head down 
And I did 2 million miles in less than 10 years. And I worked six, seven days a week for 12 hours, 15 hours a day type of thing. And, and then, and, and the whole thing was to drive enough revenue to hopefully build something one day that was an asset for me. Because in this world of consulting, like you, you don't have a retirement plan when you're a solo consultant here, right? You basically have to pray that you make enough money in your, in your prime years so that it'll support you for the rest of your life. There's no, you know, 401k, there's no pension. There's none, none of that stuff. Right. I mean, you can create your own obviously. And so I, you know, for me, I was, the whole idea was I, I knew I wanted to do online stuff and I, but I, but I wasn't really actively doing anything other than selling. And a lot of my self-worth was being driven by the revenue that I was generating for this company. Right. And I wake up 12, 10, 12 years later and shit, I got 15 people working for me. And I was like, this is a fucking business. Like, and, and when I got ripped out of it, it was that holy shit moment of, whoa, like I just, I just created something that doesn't need me anymore, that has 15 other people who are very competent uh, to be able to run this stuff. But what was, that was a very proud moment. But for me, it was actually almost a really uh, scary moment. Because now, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean for me? Where, where's my value? And I think a lot of us tie our value to our work. And we aren't our job. You know what I mean? But it's hard. It was hard for me to realize that because my fucking name's on the wall. It's Jay, it used to be Jay Barrows. You know what I mean? Like, yes, no, my work is me, but you can't let it be that way, right? Uh, Jeff Hoffman, who's my mentor, he said that you have to look at your company as an asset, right? So if you're an entrepreneur, you have to look at your company as an asset. You can't work for your company. And too many entrepreneurs actually end up working for their company. You know, they're, they're stressed out. They're always doing this and they're not, no, no, no. You need to look at your company as an asset. And just like any financial asset that you would put in a bank or whatever it is, what does that asset need to grow? So what does that asset need from you to continue to grow? And guess what? My asset needed me to get the fuck out of the way. And so it was like, okay, so now I got two divisions that are running really well and, and I get to now play around with some cool shit. So that's why I'm doing, you know, keynotes, I'm doing this executive retreat center, I'm doing, you know, my podcast and all these things that now drive my passion and go back to what I core values, what I believe in, what I want to do. And also what I've realized is, and this is a learning lesson here, is the whole concept of energy management. Yes. And I think a lot of people talk about energy management in terms of like when at certain days, you know, times of day, you have more energy to do certain things. And that's, that's absolutely something that's valid. I'm talking about things that give you energy versus things that take energy away from you. And I have been very, very conscious of this over the past couple of years where I have this little matrix that I put together of, you know, on the X axis, it's what helps me achieve my goals and what does not help me achieve my goals. And the Y axis is what helps me, uh, what gives me energy and what takes energy away from me. And what you do here is everything, once you have your priorities aligned, you have to have that first. Then you think about anything that, and I talk, and I mean friends, family, activities, whatever it is, put them all in one of those buckets. And the stuff that gives you energy and helps you achieve your goals, literally go all in on. Do as much of it as you possibly can. The stuff that takes energy away from you, but still helps you achieve your goals. Like for me, that's like admin shit and like, you know, find like stuff that I don't like doing, but I know it's important. You either section that out and kind of eat the frog and, and compartmentalize that. So you're doing it all at a very specific time or you outsource it like four hour work week, right? Mm -hmm. The stuff that gives you energy, but does not help you achieve your goals. Those are hobbies. Those are things that you go and you do and what you just, and you need those. Those are important. But if you want to get time back in your life and you want to be live a happier life, 
everything in the quadrant of what takes energy away from you and does not help you achieve your goals, literally cut that fucking box out and throw it away. And I mean this, and it's hard to say, but I mean this with friends. I mean this with family. I mean this with activities that you do. I mean this everything, right? Like these days, if you bring drama into my life, I almost have like this, this, this allergic reaction to drama. Like if, if there's drama in, I'm, it's like, I, I, I have to almost run away from it because it, it is that toxic to me. And so now with me focusing on my energy of what I, what aligns with our priorities as a business and mine and core values and gives me energy, now I get to do some cool shit. And you could tell John, and, and this is, I think this is a fantastic way to wrap this whole thing up because like. Number one, I think I got the chills during that section because all of us, every single person that's listening to this episode has that quadrant four or whatever it is that is eating them alive. Yep. And you, if, and, and obviously you could tell just with, with, you know, you could be stressed. You have this business, this thriving yeah. business. You have a lot of customers to think you could be concerned about all of that, but your demeanors is calm, cool, collected. I can't help but think that that's because you're cutting that stuff out. So I think that John, I think that this has been this is way more, I knew this was going to be a fantastic conversation, but wow, I'm literally blown away by this, man. Where, where can people learn more about you and everything that you, you guys are working on right now? Yeah. I mean, uh, look, I just launched my own personal on, on the note of doing what I'm passionate about and what gives me energy. I just actually launched my own personal website. Um, so if you go to John M as in Michael Barrows, which is my handle for everything too. So J O H N M as in Michael B A R R O W S. Um, you'll see uh, the stuff that I'm working on these days. So I got this executive retreat coming up. I got, uh, you know, some really cool things that I'm working on. And for us as a company, we're actually rebranding. Um, by the time this podcast hits, you'll see the rebrand of JB Sales. And this is the evolution of us. We went from Jay Barrows, which was me, to JB Sales when I started having other people. And now we're rebranding to Sell Better by JB Sales. And so come soon, like we're relaunching our whole website, our whole go-to-market strategy and everything else. And we're giving away a ton of free content, like our new YouTube channel and everything else. Um, so I'd highly recommend checking, taking a look at all that stuff because we're trying to really just flood the market with as much you know positive content as we can, trying to elevate this profession. Because that's our, our why here at JB Sales and mine is to elevate the people and profession of sales. And sales done right. So if uh, if you're looking for tips, ideas, any of that stuff, come join us. You know, hit me up on Instagram, you know, TikTok, where I'm getting my ass handed to me, and everywhere else. Uh, again, the handle's John M Barrows on all those, so you can find me anywhere. John, this has been fantastic, and I think I'm going to try to send off send off the way that you do as well. If make sure that you're going out and making somebody smile today, because the world needs a whole lot, a whole more, a whole bunch more of that than what we yep. have. So thank you so much. Absolutely, Tyler. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, a pleasure being here, man. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.